Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Malachi. So I'd like to invite all of you to please open your Bibles to the book of Malachi. It's uh, the very last book in the Old Testament. If you have trouble finding it, you can go to Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament, and just take a hard left. It'll be the first book that you see. So we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6. And we're going to go all the way to Malachi chapter 2, verse 9. Well, this morning, uh, I consider it a great privilege to be able to be here with you and to have another opportunity to preach God's word in this church. This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that it rehearses a dispute that God has with the priests of Israel. And so I'd like to ask all of you, if you could please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Malachi 1, 6, all the way to Malachi Please follow along with me. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted. And its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, 
inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. If you please bow your heads with me. Father, we praise your name this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, to gather together to worship your holy name. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord. It truly is a privilege to get to worship you. You are a great king. You are worthy of everything, our lives, our praise, our affections. You are worthy of it all, Lord, and we love you. And this morning, we pray that we can offer you a pure offering, an offering that pleases you, an offering that shows forth your greatness, Lord. God, that we would love you, that we would adore you. Lord, I amen my brother Shane. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit, God. Without you, we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing, God. We ask that, that you would pour out your spirit. You would turn our eyes to the heavens. You would help us to behold your greatness this morning. God, I pray that you would help me to speak your word with clarity. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself through the preaching of the word. God, and I pray that you would be exalted. We love you, Lord, and we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I would like to open up with a question for you. This may be uh, one of the most important questions that you ever answer in your life. Are you ready for it? All right. The question is, why? Yep, you heard me correctly. The question is, why? Now, this may be the most commonly asked question by toddlers in the world, uh, but this is not just a question that is for small children. I believe this is a question that all of us should be asking ourselves all of the time. Why? Specifically, we should be asking ourselves, why do we do the things that we do? And even more specifically for us in this room, we should be asking ourselves, why do we do the spiritual things that we do? I'd like you to think about it for a moment with me. Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you show hospitality to others? Why do you share the gospel? Why do you make disciples? Why did you come to church this morning? Did you come to church this morning because you love Christ and you long to worship him with his people? Or did you come to church this morning because you should? Because that's what good Christians are supposed to do. It's very important for us to know why we do the things that we do. And this morning, our passage is, to, is addressed to a group of people who are immersed in worship. They are immersed in spiritual activity. Yet the Lord is going to confront them. He is going to give his evaluation of their worship, and he's going to give his evaluation of their spiritual activity. The Lord is going to rebuke these people because their worship of him has become nothing other than a religious ritual. Now, these people that God is addressing in the book of Malachi, they are people who are struggling with many sins. If you go on to read in this book, you see that these people are breaking their marriage vows. They are robbing God in tithes and offerings. But what the book of Malachi is going to show us is that these sins are really just the fruit of a much deeper problem. Last week, we had Ryan open up the book of Malachi, and he showed us the very first words that God says to his people. This book opens up with God saying to his people, I have loved you. And the response to the people is, how have you loved us? 
This people was ignorant of the great love that God had for them. God had chosen them to be his people, and they didn't even know it. They didn't even realize it. And this morning, our passage is going to show that these same people are offering worship to God that does not honor him. And I believe that these things are related. That when you do not know the great love that God has for you, you are not going to offer him worship that honors him, that glorifies him. And these things are the foundation of all their problems. They're not having worship that is fueled by God's love for them. But when there is not genuine, true worship being offered to God, then your worship of him will become nothing other than a vain ritual. And our passage this morning is going to show us that the Lord is jealous for the greatness of his name. And he is jealous for his people to offer him worship that honors him. That's what our whole passage is about this morning. Now, if you look with me in verse 6, our passage begins with the Lord confronting the priests. He has a dispute with the priests of Israel. And he starts out with this formal charge that he is bringing to the priests of Israel. He says in verse 6, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am the master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise my name. So he starts off with this principle that, that a son honors his father and a servant his master. This is a principle that everyone in Israel would have known, that you honor those who are in authority. Even one of the Ten Commandments was, you shall honor your father and mother. Everyone knew this, that God puts people in positions of authority because he has put them there. They are worthy of honor. But then God says to the priests, I'm your father. I'm your master. And if I am a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? He is charging these priests with not honoring him, with not giving him the reverence that is due his name. And he even says that they despise him. These are serious accusations that the Lord is bringing to the ministers, to the priests. God is putting this charge to them. And you would expect that this charge being laid on them by God, that they would, they would acknowledge their sin, they would repent, they would turn from their sin. But we see a very shocking thing in our passage this morning. We see that the priests, they have no idea what the Lord is talking about. They hear this accusation and they say, basically, what are you talking about? We don't know what you're talking about. And look what they say. God, he rehearses what they're saying. Maybe they're not verbally saying, but at least in their hearts, this is what they're saying. But you say, how have we despised your name? We don't know what you're talking about, Lord. How have we done this? If we haven't despised you, what have we done? And God answers them in verse 7. He says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. So now it should be more clear, right? But what does he say? But you say, how have we polluted you? Again. They question God. They do not see what he's talking about. And he gets even more specific. He says, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. So the Lord is charging these priests with not honoring him and not reverencing him. And the thing that he points out is specifically in the sacrifices you offer. In the way you lead in corporate worship, the way you offer sacrifices on my altar you are not honoring me. This is the charge that the Lord brings to the priests of Israel. And so we see that this verse, the, the charge is specifically to the priests. Now these men, they had the greatest 
privilege in all of Israel. These are the ones who are set apart for ministry in the temple. These men had access to the very presence of God. And if you go back in the Bible and you see when these men are first appointed, if you see it back in the book of Exodus. If you remember the story where the people of Israel are worshiping the golden calf, that, God, that Moses is up on Mount Sinai in the presence of God, and the people are waiting for him. And as he delays, they make a, calf, a golden calf with their own hands, and they begin to worship it. Soon after God had just delivered them from Egypt, they begin to worship this golden calf. And God is angry with his people. God is ready to consume his people. And he tells Moses, and Moses goes down the mountain to see the people. And when Moses sees the people worshiping this golden calf, he throws down the stone tablets and they break. And he is angry with these people. And he comes to these people and he says to them, who is on the Lord's side? And out of all the people of Israel, a very small group stood up. Only the Levites. Out of all the people of Israel, only the Levites stood up. Only the Levites were jealous for the glory and worship of the true God, the only true God. And they stood up. And the question at this point in the Bible, back in the book of Exodus, is how in the world can this holy God dwell in the midst of this sinful and idolatrous people? And the Lord's answer is the tabernacle. The Lord erects the tabernacle. And he appoints the Levites to be priests in the tabernacle. And they are to offer unblemished male sacrifices in the temple. And when they do this, the wrath of God would turn away from the people. And God would bless the people with his presence. And he could dwell with them. This is the only way it could happen. And if you fast forward to our time, during the time of Malachi, worship is happening in the temple now. People have come up out of exile after the temple was destroyed. And they rebuild the temple. The priests have been reinstituted, and now sacrifices are happening once again. But what we see happening at this time is that these people are very disappointed. They had promises of the kingdom of God coming, of being delivered from all their enemies, the Messiah coming and reigning over them. And during this time, temples rebuilt. They're expecting this, this great time where they're under the reign of the Messiah. But unfortunately, they're still under the reign of foreign oppressors. It did not seem that God came through on his promises. And so they were discouraged, and these people became very apathetic and bored in the corporate worship of God. That is the background of our text this morning. Now in verse 8, God is going to get even more specific with what these priests were doing. He says in verse 8, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? So God shows us what they were doing. They were taking blind, lame, and sick animals, and they were offering them to God in worship. Out of all the livestock, all the potential animals they could use, they picked the worst of the worst. The ones that no one wanted, this is what they brought in sacrifice to the Lord of glory, the Lord of hosts. And God says to them, is that not evil? Is that not evil? Isn't it evil to offer the Lord of hosts the very worst you have? Out of everything you possess, I'm going to give him the very worst. Does that honor him? No, that is evil. That is wicked. And the Lord hates it. He says at the, end, the rest of verse 8, he says, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? 
The point here is that they would not take these pathetic sacrifices and offer them to anyone else who was in a position of authority. They would not offer to anyone else whose favor they wanted. They would not offer it to the governor. You and I would not offer something like that to an employer. If you wanted their blessing, if you wanted their favor, you would not offer them a pathetic sacrifice. Something as pathetic as that. Yet these, these people are offering this to the Lord of hosts. In verse 9, the Lord begins to use a little bit of sarcasm with them. So if you are a sarcastic person, you have a little bit of biblical justification here. Because the God of the Bible is sarcastic at times. And he says in verse 9, And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. Yeah, go ahead. Take those little lie, those little lame and blind sacrifices. Take those and, and go seek the favor of God to see if he can be gracious to us. He's basically saying, yeah, right. You really expect me to bless you. Do you really expect my favor with that? He says, with such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Do you really expect him to bless that? Verse 10, he says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. He says, I wish there was a priest among you who was jealous for my glory, jealous for my worship, who would see these pathetic offerings being sacrificed in my name and would go and shut the doors of the temple. God is saying, I would rather have nothing. I don't want anything. I, I don't want anything if that's what you're going to offer me. He is saying, I do not need your worship. I do not need your sacrifices. I would rather have nothing. I would rather they shut down the temple all together. And this is God telling us that he does not need anything. He does not need anything from us. He is complete in himself. He is perfect in every way. If all of us were to disappear and never worship him again, he would be great and glorious for all of eternity. He does not need anyone. He does not need the temple. He does not need the priest. He does not need us. He needs nothing. He is great and glorious. He says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. The Lord here is saying, I reject it. I turn it away. I want nothing to do with it. Here God is saying that the temple system, this was the place in Jerusalem where his name was to dwell. And they were offering corrupt sacrifices to him. And he says, I'm doing away with it. I am moving on from the temple. I'm moving on from the priest. I do not need you. God rejects their sacrifice. Now this may seem shocking to you that God would reject the sacrifice. Yeah, maybe it wasn't the best, but they were doing it to the Lord. Like, they were sacrificing to the Lord. Wouldn't the Lord accept that? Like, this is my worship to the Lord. This is how I'm trying to honor him. And God says, no. God says, I reject that. Why would God reject it? Why would God reject someone's worship, even if it's not the best? Here's why. Verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord is saying, I am determined to make my name great in every nation, among every people, for pure offerings to be offered to me and making my name great in every place in the globe. That's why I reject that. My name will be great. God is determined to make his name great in all theirs. He says, my name will be great. With or without you, my name will be great. So he demands great worship. His greatness demands great worship. 
and he does not need ours. He will get it somewhere else if he does not get it from us. But then, verse 12, after God saying his name will be great, people in every place will worship him, he turns to the priests and he says, but you, but you profane it. You profane my name. You profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and it's food, it's food, that is, it's food may be despised. He's saying, you profane my great name by the offerings that you offer me. In verse 13, the Lord begins to expose what the real problems are, what's really going on in their hearts. He's, he begins to expose their, their attitudes and their mindsets towards his worship. This is what they're saying to themselves when they think about the corporate worship of God. Verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. When they thought of worshiping this great and glorious God, they said, what a weariness. What, this is just an obligation, a religious duty. I have to do. I have to do this thing week after week. I have to come and do this for this God. What a weariness this is. This is an unwanted burden, but I have to do it. This is the way they thought about the worship of God. And as a result, with this attitude, it affected what they actually did. It affected the actual sacrifices that they offered to him. He says in the rest of the verse, you bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Their attitude, the way they viewed this God, affected what they offered him. Now, I had an aunt growing up. She's uh, with the Lord now. She died several years ago. Um, but I was reminded her as I was studying this verse that I'll never forget my cousins telling me that, you know, their mom would give them chores to do around the house and she would give them various things to do. But if she saw them doing their chores and they were begrudging in their service to her, if they were complaining in any way, she would look at them and say, stop. I don't want you to do it. I don't need you to do it. If you're not going to do it in a way that honestly I don't even want and I feel like that's what the Lord is saying here. That if you're going to do it begrudgingly, he says, I don't want that. That doesn't honor me. I want joyful service. I want joyful worship. I want you to love serving me. I want you to see my greatness and joyfully serve me. But if you don't, do you expect me to accept that? He's saying, no, I will not accept that from your hands. Now, verse 14, we see a very shocking thing. We see that the priests offering these blemished sacrifices to God, that it was a very deliberate choice. That they knew what they were doing. They chose to give him the worst. Look what he says in this verse. He said, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. You hear what he says there? These people have a male in their flock, just as the law required, an unblemished male, they have it. And they vow it. They say, yes, Lord, I will give you the best. I will give you my unblemished sacrifice. But when it actually comes down to it, when they come to the temple, they take the worst and they offer it in sacrifice to God. So they appear spiritual. They appear like they're giving the Lord their best. But in reality, they're sneaking in the worst. They're giving him the worst. Now, the question is, if these men, if these priests possessed these unblemished sacrifices that they were to give, then why did they just give them? Why did they give them the worst and they actually had the best? 
And as, as I was thinking about this, there was only re one reason I could come to. And the reason is that they wanted to use their best for something else. They, they saw something else as better. They saw something else as more glorious. And so they used their best for something else. Think about it. You know, if you are trying to sell your flock, if you want to make some money, you get a whole lot more money for selling the best of your flock than, than selling a blind one. Or, you know, the best of the flock, it's a whole lot better meal than the lame one. They chose to. They saw more glory elsewhere. And God says, cursed is the chief who does this. Just like Ananias and Sapphira, they pretended like they were giving the Lord their own. In reality, they were giving him the worst. And God says they are cursed for doing this. And the reason, he says, for I am a great king, and my name will be feared among the nations. He is great, and he deserves the best. He deserves everything because he is a great king, and all nations will fear him. In our passage this morning, 11 times, the Lord calls himself the Lord of hosts. The Lord of a multitude. He's not a small governor ruling over people. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Every king will bow before him and do him homage. He is the greatest king and he deserves everything. He is worthy of everything. He will be feared. Now, it would be unfair for us to just point to the priests. Surely the people... We're also offering blemished sacrifices. You see this in the law. The people were supposed to bring their best to the temple to be sacrificed. So the people are guilty as well. People and priests are both offering blemished sacrifices to God. Yet in chapter 2, verse 1, listen to what God says. He says, and now, O priests, this command is for you. In other words, God says to the priests, priests, I'm talking to you. He holds the priests ultimately accountable for what the worship is like in the temple. See, the people go as the priests go. That they set the example for the people. And if the priests are offering blemished sacrifices, guess what? The people have liberty to offer blemished sacrifices. And even if it was just the people, maybe it was just the people bringing the blemished sacrifices, yet the priests are still responsible. They're still accountable. Because they had to teach the people what right sacrifices look like. And also, if someone brought a blemished sacrifice, they could have refused to offer it. They could have refused to sacrifice it. So they are ultimately responsible for what goes on in the temple. Now, this has direct application for our lives. There is a parallel between worship in the Old Covenant and worship in the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, worship took place in the temple. In the New Covenant, worship takes place in the church. In the Old Covenant, God's presence came into the temple when the priests rightly ordered worship. And in the New Covenant, God's presence comes in the church when pastors rightly order worship. And so what this means for us, this is for our pastors, that our pastors have a responsibility to uphold the greatness of God so that we follow suit. So that we see the greatness of God and we live in light of the greatness of God. Pastors, we need you to show us the greatness of God. Week by week, our chief objective as a church is to behold the greatness of God. I want to share a, a quote here from Paul Tripp. He says, I am very concerned about acceptable Sunday morning mediocrity. It is your job as a pastor 
to pass the glory of God down to another generation. And it is impossible for you to do that if you are not being awe-stricken by God's glory yourself. The stakes are high. You could argue that every worship service is little more than a glory war. The great question of the gathering is, will the, will the hearts of this group of people be captured by the one true glory or by the shadow glories of the created world? That's our goal, to see the glory of God. And the reason is because all of us were made to worship. God hardwired us to worship. And if we do not see the glory of Christ here, we will see glory in other things. We will worship other things. We will worship sports. We'll worship our appearance. We'll worship relationships. We'll worship video games. Whatever it may be, you'll see more glory in other things. And you will inevitably give your life for that which you find to be most glorious. So pastors, we need you to show us the greatness of God. We need to see his glory. Now in verse 2, the Lord begins to reveal the root problem. The real problem. He says in verse 2, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. So I want to point out that two times in this verse, the Lord talks about the heart. He says, if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name. And at the end of the verse, he says, because you do not lay it to heart. The real problem was a problem of the heart. That these priests did not have a heart burden for the glory of God. They did not lay it to heart to give honor to his name. You see, you don't offer costly sacrifices to God if your heart does not treasure him. If you do not see his greatness, you're not going to offer him the best. You have to see how great and glorious he is. And it's an issue that starts at the heart. The Lord is more concerned about your heart than he is anything else. Because when your heart changes, when your heart loves him, everything else will follow. You're going to honor him. You're going to serve him. And God is trying to get these priests' attention. If you will not listen, if you do not lay it to heart, he is trying to get their attention. And if they do not listen to him... There are severe consequences. In this verse and the next verse, the Lord is going to give us three consequences that would happen if they do not repent. If they do not listen to the Lord and receive his review. In verse 2, the first thing he mentions as a consequence, he says, I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them. And so what would happen in the temple is the people were, the priests were supposed to offer this unblemished sacrifice to God. God's wrath would turn away from the people, and then they were to pronounce a blessing upon the people of God. And then God would bless the people with his presence. He would come. And he says, when you do that, when you take your little pathetic sacrifices and you sacrifice those to me and you pronounce the blessing, God says, I'm going to curse it. My presence is not going to be there. I'm going to remove my presence. And God says, indeed, I've already done it. I've already started to do it because you do not listen, because you don't lay it to heart. The second consequence God mentions is in verse 3. He says, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, or literally, I will rebuke your seed. He will rebuke their seed. And I believe this is referring to the seed they would use for their crops. That they would take their seed and they would scatter it in hope of crops and a harvest. And God is saying, I'm going to curse it. You're not going to bear fruit, you're not going to have a harvest. 
And the third thing, and most severely, he says, I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Yes, you read that correctly. The holy God of the Bible just told the priest that if you don't repent, I'm going to spread dung on your face. He just said that. The holy God of the Bible said, I'm going to spread dung on your face. And you may hear that, and you may think, that is so crude. How could the God you believe in spread dung in people's faces? How can you believe in that God? And I don't want you to miss the point here. The point here is that if you dishonor him, he will dishonor you. He will put you to shame. He will humiliate you. And this is much more than just shame and humiliation. Look what he says. He says, it's the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. And so what would happen when the priests were to sacrifice animals is that they would clean out the insides, all the internal organs and all the excrement. They would take it all out because that's not holy. You don't, you don't want to offer that to this great God. And they would take that, and they would take it without the camp, and they would throw it outside the camp on a dung heap. And God is basically saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to take you with all of that, and I'm going to throw you on the dung heap outside of the camp. God is saying, I'm going to remove you from my presence. I'm going to cut you off from the people of God and from the presence of God. To be taken outside of the camp was to be excluded from the people of God and the presence of God. This is a serious threat that God is giving to these priests if they do not listen. And now you may hear this and you may think, why does this God give such serious rebukes? Why does he give such serious consequences if they don't listen? And the reason is this God is jealous for his glory. He will be glorified. He is jealous. He will do everything it takes to receive glory. And this God, he's also jealous for his covenant with Levi. And that's what we see in verse 4. He says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. God wants this covenant with Levi to continue. Now, this covenant with Levi, this is not explicitly mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. This most likely refers to the pattern of faithful ministry that was given to the Levites in the law of Moses. And what the Lord is doing here is he's looking at these priests who are dishonoring him, and he points them back to the original Levitical priests, and he puts them forward as this example, this model of faithful ministry, his standard of what he expects of his ministers. And I don't believe this is just something for the priests. I believe this is God's standard for his ministers for all of time. In every generation, in every age, this is what the Lord values. This is what he wants from those who minister in his presence. He begins to describe what this covenant is like in verse 5. He says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. So what the Lord is saying here is that his ministers are in a covenant relationship with him. It's a reciprocal relationship. Both parties have obligations in this relationship. The Lord has a part. The priests have a part. He says that my covenant with him was one of life and peace. What this means is that the Lord would give life and peace to his minister. That's why he says I gave them to him. He gives life and peace to his minister. But there's a condition. That's why he says it was a covenant of fear. It's also a covenant of fear. And he feared me. So this life and peace that the Lord would give to his minister, it was conditioned upon the minister fearing him, reverencing him, 
And if the minister ceased to show him honor and ceased to reverence him, reverence him, then the Lord would take away life and peace. He would take away his blessing. They are in a reciprocal relationship. Both parties have responsibilities. Now, in the next two verses, the Lord is going to show what it would look like for his ministers to fear him. So if you were to look at them, how, how can we discern? How do we know if they're reverencing the Lord? And what he points to is their preaching. What they say. Over and over again, he references their mouth and their lips. What they say. It's really important what they say. This is how they fear me by what they say. Specifically, by teaching his word. Faithfully and accurately teaching the word of God. He says in verse 6, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. So they, they are to speak true instruction, accurate, no wrong, say nothing wrong in their mouth. They are to perfectly and accurately represent the Lord in their teaching. And the reason is because their teaching has effects. It affects the people who hear it. Did you know that? That when you hear teaching, you are affected by it. For them, these Levites of old, they faithfully taught the word. They had true instruction, and he turned many from iniquity. This is why preaching is so important in the Bible because it affects so many people at the same time. When the word is rightly preached, it turns people from sin. So many fires are put out in so many different people's hearts at the same time, and the preacher doesn't even know it happened. God turns people away from sin through the right preaching of his word. God wants his, his ministers to be preachers, to be faithful and accurate preachers of his word. And the reason is given in verse 7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Of Lord of hosts. So these priests, these ministers, are to guard knowledge. The idea there is God has entrusted something to them. He's given them knowledge. He's given them his truth, and their job is to guard it, is to protect it. He goes on to say, People should seek instruction from his mouth. Literally, they should seek the law from his mouth. They should go to the mouth of the minister and they should hear God's word. They should hear God's law, not his opinions. He should not add to it or take away from it. He's to preach the word. And the reason for that is because he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He is to be nothing more than a messenger. He is the messenger of God. He's to take God's words and he's just to put it out to the people. That's his job, to be the messenger of of the Lord of hosts. What God is doing here is he's making a direct link between his greatness being seen in corporate worship and the right preaching of God's word. When his word is rightly handled, it reveals him and gives us a right view of who he is. And he is seen as great and he is worshiped and served properly when the word is rightly handled. Now what this means for our pastors, this means we need you to be men of the Bible. We need you to immerse yourself in the word of God, to be students of the, the Bible. We need you to devote yourself to the preaching of God's word. This is to be your primary task, is to uphold the glory of God by rightly preaching the word of God. And what this means for us as a church is that we should want preachers who are like this. We should want them to be men of the word. We should want them to spend lots of time studying the word of God. We should do everything we can to guard their time of study so they can accurately handle the word of God. 
And this is the, the standard that God puts forward for his ministers. But unfortunately, our passage ends on a very sad note. We see that the Levitical priests have failed to uphold this standard. See in verses 8 and 9, he says, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. They failed. They turned aside from the way. They showed partiality in their instruction. They did not rightly handle the word. They didn't rightly reveal who God was. They didn't show all the full implications of what his word says. And the result was that they caused many people to stumble by their teaching. Instead of turning people from sin, they wrongly handled the word and people stumbled into sin. And so God judged them. God, he says he's going to do what he said he would do earlier. He says, so I make you despised and abased before all the people. God here is saying that he's going to shut the temple doors, that these priests are going to be taken outside of his presence. They're going to be thrown on the dung heap. They're going to be despised and abased for all the people. He's going to do what he said he would do. So there is a failure of the Levitical priesthood. We do not have Levitical priests anymore today, and this is why. They did not honor God. They did not give him the glory that is due his name. Now this shows us that we need better priests than these priests. We need a priesthood that is better than this priesthood. And we do not simply need better priests or better pastors. What we need is a perfect priest. We need a priest who always honors his father. We need a priest who always lives for the glory of God, who is jealous for the glory of God, one who faithfully teaches the word of God. And we need a priest who offers perfect sacrifice to God, unblemished sacrifice. There's only one who fits the category. We need Jesus. He is the only perfect priest. He always lived for the glory of God. He is the word made flesh. He perfectly reveals the Father. And he offered a sacrifice to God that was so perfect that there are no other sacrifices needed ever. One sacrifice by offering himself. A perfect sacrifice for all who trust in him. The wrath of God is turned away from them for all of eternity, and they are ushered into the very presence of God only through Christ, the perfect high priest. Praise God. That's our Savior. That's Jesus Christ. He is the great king. He is the great king who laid down his life for his people. Now as we close, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you that you don't have it within yourself to offer Worship to God that glorifies him. You, don't, you can't muster it. You can't dig deep and, and, and get it from within yourself to glorify him. You can't do it. You don't have it within you. But this is why Christ came. He came so that you would look at him and you would see the greatness of God. He came so that pure worship would be offered to God. That pure offerings would be offered in every place, all over the globe. He came to purchase a people from all over the world who would see the greatness of God and give him pure worship. And it greatly dishonors him when we do not give him worship that honors his name. So may we be a church that loves him, that honors him with all of our heart, that sees his glory and worships him accordingly. Please pray with me.
Father, we thank you. Thank you for Christ. Lord, thank you for what he has done. Thank you that you sent him to do what no other could do. Thank you for this great king. The one who is greater than any other. The one who is worthy of everything. Father, I pray that as we go forward week by week, we would look to him. We would have our eyes fixed on him. That we would not settle for lesser glories. God, that, that we would live for your glory, God. We would live for that which is truly life. That we would know you. God, for any in here who do not know you, God, who are still trying on their own to, to please you with what they do, God, I pray that they would look to Christ and they'd be saved. I pray that souls would be saved this morning, Lord, that you would receive praise from them. God, I pray that as we go throughout our weeks, Lord, we would live in a manner that honors you. And as we gather together in worship, Lord, that we would praise your great name. We love you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.